Hello there, and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent, and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined on the show by Ida Waringa and by Stuart Weir. And on this week's show, we take a look back at the first two rounds of 2026 World Cup qualifying in Africa, with Ghana, Nigeria, and South Africa all dropping points, and with Eritrea pulling out of the qualifiers. Also, we speak to teenage Gambian star Adama Bojang, who shone at the Under-20 Afcon this year and earned a move to Rance in France. It's hard to leave family back home and come abroad and being alone, but. Gradually, I'm catching up because everyone tries to help. That's coming later. Also, Stuart analyzes Everton's points deduction in the English Premier League, and he takes a look at the latest criticism of the VAR. But let's start with a road to the 2026 FIFA World Cup. Teams play twice in this just-ended international window. There are 54 teams in nine groups of six, and the group winners qualify automatically for the 2026 finals, with nine guaranteed slots for Africa at the 2026 World Cup. Well, the next games are now a long way away in June of next year. So, as it stands at the moment, Egypt have a maximum six points in Group A. In Group B, there's Senegal and Sudan on four points. Senegal held to a goalless draw away to Togo. Group C, Rwanda are the surprise leaders on four points. Nigeria with two draws from two. Group D is open. Cameroon, Cape Verde, and Libya all on four points. Group E has four teams all on three points. In Group F, Ivory Coast and Gabon made perfect starts. They have six points. Algeria lead Group G with two wins from two. In Group H, Tunisia. And Equatorial Guinea have six points, and in Group I, Comoros are the surprise leaders on six points, with Mali on four. Comoros having stunned Ghana by a goal to nil. So, what has stood out for you, Ida? Well, Steve, frankly, it wasn't any on-pitch action that took most of my attention. Rather, it was Eritrea's decision to withdraw from the entire qualifying process. Now, neither the federation nor FIFA gave any reason, but Eritrea last played an international game almost four years ago. You see, sources say that the withdrawal is to avoid players possibly seeking political asylum during trips abroad. The country has been under an oppressive regime which imposes lifetime military service on its people. And this is something that many would like to run away from. But Steve, looking at results from the action, and while Ghana's 1-0 loss to Comoros and Zimbabwe's 1-1 draw with Nigeria immediately come to mind, it wasn't the first time that Ghana was losing to Comoros. I mean, Comoros were responsible for the Black Stars exiting in the group stage at the Afghan last year. And clearly, it appears that Chris Hutton's side still hasn't learned from their mistakes. As for the Super Eagles, well, it was a second straight draw, you know, and against another underdog team because the previous was to Lesotho. Rwanda's 2-0 win over South Africa was definitely a surprise, I'll say that. I mean, the home team definitely seemed to do better in that waterlogged pitch. 
Steve, let's remember that only the top side in each group makes it to the World Cup, you know, and this sort of slow start, you know, maybe hoping to recover in the middle or somewhere at the end there, it might end up having some horrible consequences for some of these African giants. Though there is the Afghan coming up, so it could be that teams do have one eye on that and maybe drop the ball on this round of qualifiers and will hope to make up for it later. Yes, not much time to catch up for those drop points in the first two rounds of games in Africa's World Cup qualifiers. So a long wait for the next matches, which are in June of next year. Well, next here on Planet Sport Football Africa to the CAF Women's Champions League and Mamelodi Sundowns Ladies of South Africa beat Morocco's SC Casablanca in Corhogo in Ivory Coast in the final of the third edition of the tournament. It's a second title for Sundowns Ladies and very successful times for the club at the moment because the men's team won the inaugural edition of the African Football League the previous weekend. Here's the Sundowns ladies coach Jerry Chabalala giving credit to the club's success to the former club president Patrice Motsepe, the current CAF president. When I go back to the previous, the previous president of Mamelodi Sundowns, uh, I once said when he bought this club, he said he wanted to see the vision of Mamelodi Sundowns dominating Africa. So I believe everyone who's at Club Cop, he shared the same, he still shares the same vision with the, with the previous president in terms of trying to dominate uh, Africa. So that thing, it really pushes us as an employees of Mamelodi Sundowns to, to keep on trying and harder and work as hard as we can so that we can, we can achieve the goal of the previous president and the current chairman to say we want to dominate Africa. That's what really is pushing us. That's the Mamelodi Sundowns ladies coach Jerry Chabalala and well done to the Sundowns ladies, uh, second title in the Women's Champions League. Well, the 2023 Under-17 FIFA World Cup continues in Indonesia. It's now at the quarter-final stage and there's an all-African contest with Mali playing Morocco on Saturday. Uh, Mali beat Mexico 5-0 in the quarter-finals. Impressive win. Morocco beat Iran on penalties. Uh, tough luck for Senegal, who've done so well for the continent of late in many age groups. They lost to France on penalties after a goalless draw and became a fan also went out at the group stage. So there will be an African team in the semi-finals, but only one as Mali and Morocco face each other on Saturday. We're next here on Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport, to, to our interview with Adama Bojang, the 19-year-old Gambian who's a huge prospect. Nicknamed the Gambian Hurricane, Bojang starred by scoring four goals as Gambia finished runners-up at the Under-20 AFCON earlier this year. He scored twice as the country went out at the Under-20 World Cup in the round of 16 to get him in the notepads of top European scouts. And despite reported interest from English and German clubs, Bojang joined French side Rance on a five-year deal in August. He's been training with the first team but playing for the reserves and the Rance first team coach Will Still says Bojang shouldn't be rushed uh, after scoring seven goals in four matches for the second team who are playing in the third tier of French football. Bojang was an unused sub in the first team's recent 1-0 win over Lorient and he spoke to Planet Sport Football Africa's Oloashina Okaleji about life in France. Yeah, first of all, I'm settling here gradually taking step by step so that I can have my settlement 
it's hard to leave family back home and come abroad and being alone. But gradually, I'm catching up things and I'm I'm in a good family, as you can see, because everyone tries to help to see me settle down. So it's great for me to be here and settling down. It's getting great for me. Talking about settling down, you set the youth team on fire. Everyone is talking about you here in France, like because you've done well at the Afcon for in Africa. And now you're doing well with the Rans U team. Do you think this would absolutely help you in your quest for a first team football? Yeah, yeah, I think it will help me a lot. Coming from the AFCON, having a professional contract for start the Rams. So when I came, the coach told me you can train with the first, you are in the first team, but you can play games for the second team so that you can have game time. So that's how I catch up things. And I started from there. So I have scored goals for the second team that was amazing for me so I think it was great for me to have those games in my legs to prepare myself for the league uh. the manager says they shouldn't rush you that you need time people shouldn't rush you because you're doing well with the second team do you agree with him yeah he knows what best for me I guess because he's the boss so he's in control of everything so when I came here, he welcomed me well, so he gave me courage and everything. He told me to have games, so I have games there. So now, I'm, I guess things are coming on my way gradually as I am going. So it was great for me to have the steps, and now we are looking forward for my debut. They said you are the golden boy of Gambian football. Is that pressure? No, it's not too much pressure. I feel that, yeah, it's great for me because I know... Scoring goals, it's what I do most, so it's amazing to have that name on me, so it's not too much pressure on me. I play my games normally and know that things will come on my way. Yeah, and what about the French language? Are you settling? Are you speaking now? Yeah, the French <laughs> language, I am on it. I'm trying gradually, having classes, so I'm trying to adapt to the system and can, so I can speak the language also. It will help me, even not only in France, but in the future. If I have chance to go out from France, so I can meet with different people. So no one knows where the destiny might end. You, you had interest from a lot of clubs. Why did you choose Rance? Yeah, it was a tough decision for me because as a young player coming from Africa and all those teams eyes on you, it was... Great for me as a young player. I was happy about it. And also, I try to take my time and discuss with my people, together with my agent, to have the best way for me, for my future. So I feel that Stadrem is a great family to be part of it. And also, I feel that when I'm here, I can have a great future for my career because I need a time where I can develop myself more so I can be... At the, at the standard whereby when I'm at the top, being in the Premier League, I will, there won't be no excuses. So I think Stadderem is a great decision for me, even though with all those interests of teams. Also, now looking at Gambia, um, everybody is saying, look, the Afghan, the Scorpions are a team to watch out for. You must be looking forward to playing in your first Afghan if you get a chance. Yeah, it's a dream for me to be part of the African Cup of Nations this year, because at the last Afghan, after the boys, when they came back home, they passed us through our training ground. So we saw them, and I was like, bro, my, I stayed one of my elders, I told him, bro, next Afghan, I have to play. So luckily, I'm now here in Europe as a professional player. So I feel that the dream is 
closer to me. So as much as I have, I have games, I feel that I will be part of the African Cup of Nations team. And it's a big dream for me to be in the African Cup of Nations for this year. That's Adama Bojang, the 19-year-old Gambian, speaking to Planet Sport Football Africa's Oluwashina Okaleji. Only 19, nicknamed the Gambian Hurricane, and scored four goals as Gambia were runners-up at the Under-20 AFCON earlier this year, and also scored twice as the Gambia went out in the round of 16 at the Under-20 World Cup and earned himself that move to Rance in France on a five-year deal. Well, what an exciting prospect, Ida. Definitely, Steve. I mean, as you've said there, he was on the radar of some big-time English and German clubs before he signed for runs. And the fact that clubs of that caliber were willing to sign him directly out of the Gambia with zero European experience, it does say a lot about his potential. Because, look, I mean, it's one thing, right, to maybe sign a player directly from the South African PSL or maybe even the Egyptian league, you know, but the Gambia does have a relatively weak domestic league by any standards. One word Steve constantly used to describe Bojang is raw. And in most cases, I'm not a fan of the term, you know, especially when it's used to describe players of Afro descent, just because it does come with a degree of racial connotation. But in Bojang's case, I do have to agree because his talent is immense, but it's also still quite unrefined. And another description that you see or hear of a lot with Bojang is his good read of the game. Plus, at 6'3", he's definitely physically imposing. And one thing that the player doesn't lack is confidence. I absolutely loved what he said previously when asked about the underdog tag, you know, that he and his country seem to carry in these big tournaments. And he said that, look, football is played on the pitch. It's not played on paper. And at the end of the day, it comes down to who shows up and who doesn't. (laughs) And Steve, I do have to say, I love such statements. I love that sort of attitude, that sort of can-do attitude, you know. And it's what led them to beat Nigeria in the Under-20 Afghan, for example, or beat France at the Under-20 World Cup and top their group. You know, you can tell that he's someone who's not easily phased, no matter the environment. And I do have to say it's something I admire. You hear the tone he's speaking in in the interview and you can tell that he does have some maturity to him. And Steve, you mentioned his tally in the tournament, the under-20 Afghan. And it's that performance that got him a place in the team of the tournament. And he carried that form to the under-20 World Cup in May, when he scored a minute into his debut against Honduras. And it was a beautiful strike. And Steve, as you may know, the under-20 World Cup has produced some brilliant talents over the years. We're talking the likes of Paul Pogba, Erling Haaland, who both had their careers go pretty much next level after their under-20 tournaments. And personally, I'm crossing fingers that it will be a similar case for Bojang, you know. And the fact that he's scoring seven in four games at runs clearly shows that he does have the capacity for proper first-team play. The Gambia has produced the likes of Musa Barrow, who is arguably the country's most famous footballer. 
He's played in the Serie A, the Champions League, and he's now based in Saudi Arabia. So I would be curious on whether seeing Barrow scale the heights has inspired Bojang on his journey, you know, because in the past, the youngster has talked about being a big fan of Cristiano Ronaldo. So I wonder about his influences closer home. But Steve, all in all, it's great to see, quote unquote, small countries producing big talents, you know, and in an ideal world, Bojang would have the opportunity to develop into a star in his home country, you know, but realistically, it's great that he gets to carve out this niche for himself in Europe and possibly beyond. I mean, he also got a three-year shoe sponsorship with Adidas. So all the best to him. It's looking very promising and bright. Yes, it won't be easy, but huge potential for Adama Bojang. Thanks, Ida. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. Still to come, Stuart on Everton's points deduction in the English Premier League and on why there are so many injuries. You can follow us on X at Planet Sport FA. You can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programs in our archive. To get the app, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. Well, let's go to social media now. We asked her, is the VAR interfering too much? There's been lots of VAR controversy of late and former Bayern Munich and Man United star Owen Hargreaves has said recently that VAR is re-refereeing games and ruining things. So we asked, what do you think? Is the VAR interfering too much? And, uh, well, we had almost unanimous verdict on this, actually, in Kenya, when Johi Gikonyo Moreses says that the original game without VAR was OK for me, where the referee's decision was final. Usman C. Jallo in Sierra Leone says, yes, they're interfering too much. So too does James O. Vicky in Nigeria. Uh, Sarja Aliou Bikonte in the Gambia says, yeah, it's doing more harm than good in modern day football. Uh, Sideko Suno in the Gambia says, yes, they're interfering too much. And agreeing in South Africa is Herbert Maula. Uh, Jay Gilberts in Zambia says, VAR should be ceased. And in Sierra Leone, Ibrahim Bendu Pedri says uh, the disadvantages are outweighing the advantages. Uh, let's just stick to the center referee, says Ibrahim. And uh, on the other hand, SK Cruz in Liberia says uh, VAR is good. It avoids cheating in the game. But otherwise, uh, very much a landslide majority uh, saying, yeah, the VAR is interfering too much. Uh, let's go to our European football expert now, Stuart Weir in the UK. Uh, Stuart, it continues to be a big, bigger topic of discussion, the VAR. Very interesting, Steve, because uh, it seems in the last week so many people, um, the great and the good, have been having their say about VAR. David Ellery was the technical director of the International Football Association Board, the game's lawmaking body, which licensed VAR in the first place. And he said that based on trials they had done in Italy, they expected two VAR reviews for every 10 games. Now, that is, a full weekend of Premier League games would have two VAR reviews. Compare that with having nine VAR reviews in the recent Tottenham-Chelsea game. And Ellery said the original idea had been to stop the big errors, like the famous Maradona Hand of God goal, but, well, how it has changed from that original idea. Up to the first week 
end in November. The Premier League has an independent key match incident reviews, which looks at all the major incidents. And as I say, up till that date, they had identified 16 VAR errors compared to 11 at the same time last season. And shockingly, there had been 25 red cards in the Premier League compared to seven at the same stage last year, again, largely because of VAR. Martin Glenn, who was the CEO of the English FA, used the phrase minimum interference for maximum benefit, another phrase which has got lost in the way. And I've also found it interesting this year to compare how VAR has been used in the Champions League compared to the Premier League. I mean, in one particular week, there were 16 Champions League games with seven VAR interventions, seven in 16, compare that to the Premier League. But UEFA has stated minimum disturbance to the game, but VAR is there when it is needed. And it seems to me there's no doubt that the Premier League policy is based on a much lower threshold for VAR intervention than UEFA. And, you know, two people this week, one the chief executive of the League Managers Association and the chief executive of the Irish FA, have commented that VAR should not be a tool to re-referee games or there's the danger that we're re-refereeing every single incident. I thought most of those people spoke a lot of sense. The problem remains that individual VAR officials do referee decisions and seem to be interpreting them, or rather interpreting their role even, in a way it was never intended when VAR was introduced. And finally, I leave you with the words of one English journalist who wrote this week, and I think many of us will agree with this. VAR has compromised the joy of goal celebrations, interrupted the flow of the game, eroded faith in referees, and frequently leaves the most important people, the players and the coaches, wondering what on earth is happening. Well, fascinating uh, observations uh, there, Stuart, and it looks like many people would uh, agree with uh, most of those uh, as well. Uh, now, let's uh, go back a, a week ago. There was shock news that uh, Everton uh, had been found guilty of breaching Premier League profit and sustainability rules and uh, have been given a huge 10-point deduction, uh, leaving them with only four points now, Stuart. Um, what do you make of this? Well, it's part of the financial fair play rules which say that Premier League clubs cannot incur a financial loss of more than $130 million over a three-year period. And in the years 2019 to 22, Everton's losses exceeded that by $24 million. The punishment imposed on them 10 points means that Everton have dropped, as you say, into the bottom three. Everton are appealing the punishment. I don't think they'll be successful because apparently they've been warned several times in the process. Despite being in the bottom three, I think they have enough class to maintain their role in the Premier League, but it does more or less rule out any chance of qualifying for Europe. The significance, though, is well beyond the actual punishment because there's a real possibility that some of the club's which were relegated during that three-year period when Everton arguably survived only by breaking the rules, there's a real possibility that those clubs may choose 
to sue Everton and sums of a hundred million dollars per club are being mentioned. And then, of course, is the case of Manchester City, accused of well over a hundred different alleged financial charges. Everton's charges were pretty trivial, one might say, and if 10-point deduction for relatively small offences, what of Manchester City? I think if City are found guilty of even half their charges, it's inevitable that they will be relegated. But due to the complexity of the Manchester City case and the fact that Manchester City are fighting it vigorously means that it may be two years before it is settled. But the legal decision this week is significant for Everton, but it is also more significant in that it shows that the Premier League will not hesitate to punish any clubs in breach of financial fair play. And apparently they've just started investigations into Tottenham and Chelsea as well as Manchester City. Well, so it's a huge one, this, and uh, we'll keep following uh, what happens uh, in the coming weeks and coming months, uh, indeed. Um, so English Premier League football is back this weekend after the international break. Uh, lots of players seem to be suffering uh, with injuries. Some picked up, indeed, in the last few days, but uh, seems to be a general pattern, Stuart. Well, Steve, we talked previously about how unsatisfactory the timing of the last World Cup was with players having to play a World Cup in the middle of the season and then the season extending beyond the point where it normally ends. Well, a recent report has shown that players who took part in the 2022 World Cup have spent more time unavailable for their club through injury than would have been expected. The report says that in early 2023, players who played in the World Cup were injured for an average of 19 days compared to 11 days prior to the World Cup. This may be because players were playing extra games, had sustained injuries in the World Cup, or simply not had time to rest afterwards. And with the, the season uh, ending later, players had less break pre-season, and we've had so many international breaks already. I mean, we have Jurgen Klopp talking with his players going back and forward from South America. It just highlights the pressure on players simply playing too many games, sustaining injuries and not having time for treatment or rest, but playing again. So I think it is something that has to be addressed. Yeah, so many games uh, for players. And um, Stuart, you've been taking a look at uh, goalkeepers in the Premier League. Well, Steve, this really started when we commented on David Rea having replaced Aaron Ramsdale as the Arsenal first-choice goalkeeper. When I had a look into this, I noticed that actually only five of the 20 Premier League clubs normally has an English goalkeeper. There are goalkeepers in the Premier League first choice from Spain, Italy, France, Belgium, Portugal, USA, Argentina, Brazil. And if you look at the squad of players, there are 50 goalkeepers on the books of the 20 Premier League clubs who are not from England. 42 from Europe, 23 different countries represented, four countries in South America, and there are also four from North America. But interesting to note that Andre Onana at Manchester United, the Cameroon national goalkeeper, is the only African goalkeeper currently under contract to a Premier League club. And um, back with a bang, uh, the Premier League uh, this weekend, Stuart, with uh, Man City-Liverpool. 
Absolutely, and it's on Saturday lunchtime, which will not please Jurgen Klopp, because remember last week he was complaining that his players, and he's got, I think it's four South Americans, have less time to rest and recover than other clubs. But to find themselves playing Manchester City, that's a really one of the top games of the season, potentially. And then later on Saturday, we've got Newcastle at home to Chelsea, and, you know, Newcastle have been struggling a bit, and Chelsea seem to be on the up. And on Sunday afternoon, we have Everton coming back after that bad news with the point deduction at home to Manchester United. Your Manchester United have not played well, but they've been picking up points. And then, Steve, Tuesday and Wednesday, we're back to Champions League action. Yes, yeah, so the Premier League potentially back with a big bang this weekend at the early kickoff on Saturday, Man City against Liverpool. Thanks, Stuart. Before I go, on social media this week, asking what do you think about Everton's points deduction? So Everton say they will appeal against the 10-point deduction that's uh, dropped them into the Premier League relegation zone after being found guilty, as Stuart explained there, of financial fair play rules. They say they will monitor with interest the decisions made in other cases concerning the Premier League's profit and sustainability rules, uh, seemingly referring to Man City, who are facing over a 100 charges of breaching the rules, and Chelsea, who are also under investigation. So what do you think about Everton's points deduction? You can post a comment on our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa, or you can send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Well, that's it for the show for this week. So from me, Steve Vickers in Zimbabwe, from Ida Waringa and from Stuart Weir, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.